we were so close to being professional, but in the most incompetent way imaginable. <laughs> That's a great review. Bird of the week. It's so close to professional. <laughs> Almost well researched. Might recommend. Hello and welcome to Bird of the Week. It's a podcast about birds, released on a non-weekly basis. Episode 39, The Great Egg War. Welcome back to the show. This week I am bringing another strange bird-related story from the annals of history. I'll be taking you to a windswept rocky outcrop that is the desolate islands of the Farallon off the coast of California. We're going to meet some common murs and find out how exactly their eggs sparked a conflict. This is a doubly special episode because I am being joined once again by my good friend, Mr. David Clay. So let's not waste any time as I hand the show over to that bane of my existence, Nathan from the past. Thank you for that introduction, Nathan from the future, and David... Welcome back. Thank you for joining me for a third, a third outing. A third outing. Thank you for having me. I'm chuffed to be back. I'm very excited to learn about whatever nonsense it is we're planning to talk about today. Oh, and have I got a treat for you, David. Bird nonsense. Oh, well, yes, I've, I've definitely got um, nonsense for you today. And I think it's going to thematically tie in with the last two episodes we did, because in the first episode, we had a golden flute. In the, we did. In the second episode, we had a war. <laughs> I've forgotten about the golden flute. How could you forget about the golden yes. flute, David? What motivation. <laughs> uh, and then, sorry, and then we had the, the war with the, with war. the, with the, the, the youth one. with the machine gun. And in this, and in this episode, we're going to have a war set during a gold rush. Oh, it all ties together. <laughs> it all ties together. I, I was honestly not sure where you're going with that, but that really does tie together. I've been going for over a year now, David. This has been the long plan all along to get to this episode by the other two. <laughs> <laughs> Should I be very nervous? Yes, I think um, there's going to be blood, there's going to be murder, a lot of birds are going to die, but it's... we'll hopefully have some fun along the way. It's all I can hope for. Let me, well, let me, let me, let me begin by asking you this question, David. How, how familiar are you with the American gold rush? I would say I am not familiar with almost all of it. That's a shame because neither am I. <laughs> <laughs> well... Thanks for listening. I was really hoping David was going to be able to fill us in there, but unfortunately... Was I meant to have done some pre-research into the gold, American gold rush? I think that like there was one, or more than one. Oh, yeah. Something about trains as well, probably. Oh, trains. God, I hope so. That, I'm, I'm sure building tracks, railroads, probably has something to do with gold rush gold well look i guess the lucky thing is is that our story isn't particularly relevant to the gold rush it's just the backdrop for our story it's the context it's the context and it was the catalyst i think that sparked the far more interesting avian related story that we're going to tell today okay. yes so in in uh, well it turns out i do know something about the gold rush i, I have some context here oh, thank god because I just quickly googled it on like California gold rush. This is a long article to read. Yeah, okay, skip the article. It's okay. We don't need any of it. So in <laughs> in eighteen forty eight, gold is discovered in California, and this is the this is what begins the American gold rush. And I think it is helpful to put some numbers just around this because I think in our mind we go, oh hey, you know, a bunch of people went out west to pan for gold, but you know this was an absolutely massive population migration. So just to give an indication, 
1847, the population of San Francisco was about 1,000 people. Would you like to have a guess at what the population was two years later in 1849? Ooh, I like guessing it. Yeah. Population changes. Um, let's say it was, it was 1,000 two years later. Let's say um, 110,000. Wow, you are good at this. Am I? Is that close? Yeah, it was it was about a hundred thousand people. Oh, oh wow! Okay, well that's that's like it's a nice round number. Yeah, yeah, that was amazing, David. Well done. <laughs> See, there is something I could bring. There's something I know about the gold rush. I thinking about it, I do remember as a as a kid watching various cartoons. There were there were, would have been a whole bunch of of uh, parodies and, and sketches and cartoons about about people running off with very specific sorts of hats from the era and, and panning for gold and stuff and, l- and shouting about there being gold in their bar heels and that sort of stuff. I like that the thing that sticks out to you specifically is the hats, the headwear. Well, everyone wore a hat before like 1970 or 60. Everyone just always wore hats, right? Simpler times. Well, I mean, I saw someone in a hat the other day. I, I think we, we still have them. Oh, good. I'm glad we haven't lost the proud tradition so, that began in the American gold rush of hat wearing. Anyway, we've gotten off track here. Almost immediately. But San Francisco, massive expansion. 100,000 people migrated in the space of two years. That's that's crazy. And, and just to give some other context, in 1850, there were only three cities in the world that even had a population over a million people. And they were, um, for those playing at home, it's London, Paris and Beijing. Um so, so in just two years, it went from like this dusty little backwater. What did you say about San Fran? San Fran, dusty little backwater. Oh, you repeated it as well. Fair enough. I mean, it probably was, right? I'm sure like, it was I mean, when in before gold was discovered. It's only a thousand people living out there. That's nothing, right? Also, frankly, what can you build in two years? Nothing. Well, like, surely it'd still be a little dusty by the time a hundred thousand people are there. Probably more dust. This is the broader point that we're going to make: that within two years, it's grown a hundredfold, and infrastructure just has not kept up. Essentially, oh. yes. So you know, it's this city that's experiencing this massive grow, but at the same time, the infrastructure can't keep up to support the new population. And one of the other problems that came with that was how to feed all these people that have turned up on the town. In the town? On the town. In the town. That's the right preposition. <laughs> preposition. Turned up on we the town. <laughs> and compounding that issue was the fact that they were having a lot of trouble getting chickens established in the area. Um, and there were a few problems making it hard to get chickens um, started. I believe there was some local avian diseases that were kind of bopping the chickens off that they weren't used to and another problem that they had was feeding the chickens is an issue because that's food you could be eating yourself rather than feeding it to a chicken (laughs) yeah and i suppose especially back then without the i guess the the chicken infrastructure that has since been developed to to make it much more efficient i imagine chickens would probably take a while to to grow to a, a size that they could actually a population that would actually be able to support that i mean especially given a hundred times the population in two years Unless everyone's bringing a few chickens with them as well, you're not going to have enough. <laughs> no, well, they didn't. And so this, as you can imagine, supply and demand curve, David, this led to uh, inflation run crazy. Um, would you like to guess how much an egg, a dozen eggs, was going for in uh, in today's dollars? Forget... You... Adjusted for inflation. Adjusted for inflation. Like how much... AUD or, or USD? Uh, I have both figures for you. <laughs> oh, 
Excellent. Okay. I will guess in AUD. Thank you. Because... Being Australians. Yes. Uh, $40. You know, again, you're pretty close, David. Am I? That's so much facts. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a smidge more. They were going for about $50 a dozen for a dozen eggs in Australian dollars That's today, so which for our American listeners is uh, 38 US dollars. That's that's a lot of a lot of money for a dozen mm. eggs. Eggs were pricey, and so what 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 began happening is people started to, uh, I suppose, they started to look around for an alternative egg source, and they soon spotted a fresh one, out um, just outside of um, San Francisco Harbor, or is it San Francisco Bay? I'll say both, and then I'll edit in the right one. Just outside San Francisco Bay, that's the one. That bay, that harbor. What a bay. What a harbour. So there's a collection of islands just off the coast called the Farallon Islands. These are a group of islands. They're about 20 miles out to sea past the where the Golden Gate Bridge stands today. I believe that on fine days they are visible from the shore. There are two main islands and a collection of smaller, more rocky outcrops. And these are quite harsh and foreboding to look upon. They're, they're very jagged and pointy. <laughs> foreboding to look upon. Yes. The giant the giant obsidian monoliths really just put a lot of people off. But if you look a bit further, there's lots of eggs over I'll there. I'll see if I can... I'll send you a photo, David, because they kind of do look like obsidian p- pillars <laughs> a little bit. Oh, geez, is this some sort of Lovecraftian situation? Ooh. Oh, they are a little foreboding. They, they don't... There's not a semblance of vegetation from what I can see it from this this height. So it seems like we're in a helicopter looking down at, at two little islandy bits joined by a, a thin Ismuth. And with two oh, two jaggedy looking looking peaks, one on, on each little spot on each little island. Mm. And they're very dark brown, which I can only assume, apart from being rocks, and, and rocks are often brown, that there's probably some sort of um, uh, guano. Oh. Is that what bird poop yes, is? Yes, indeed. Probably some sort of guano and nitrates going on. Mm. But otherwise, they look um, they look uninhabitable, I would say. They do. They do. And and uh, you might also note, like, the, the, like the white foam that's extending quite a ways out, indicating, uh, I suppose, shallow-lying, rocky mm. reefs. Off just off the coast, which makes the islands quite difficult to land upon as well. Very dangerous looking. Mm. Just waves crashing mm. everywhere. Could everything is jagged above ground and and below the the water. Yes. So it might not surprise you to know that um, the islands were sometimes referred to as the Devil's Teeth. I mean, no, it doesn't surprise me for America. So so named because of the treacherous surrounding water filled with shallow shoals that sank many a boat. A point that we will come back to later. I just. I'm almost certain that there are lots of rough, sort of islandy, jaggedy bits of rock around the place that someone's called the Devil's Teeth, <laughs> or the Devil's Spines, or the Moor of the Devil. Something. It's very dramatic. The Native Americans also referred to them as the Islands of the Dead. It was believed that the spirits of their ancestors resided there. Oh, that's much nicer. Yes. <laughs> I mean, still exceptionally foreboding as a name for a place. Like It, it doesn't look welcoming. I could see no. why you'd associate it with something where you would normally go for a little daily jaunt, have a picnic. There's, like, there's no reason to go out there, except there is one thing that is also out there, and that is nesting seabirds. Oh, it would have to be seabirds. That's right? always seabirds. Would you like to meet a bird, David? 
What, what bird am I meeting today? Actually, there are a number of birds that lived out on the island. There are about 20 species that nested oh. on these islands, but there's only one that we're really interested in today. That's very human-centric of me to look at those islands and think, oh, how uninhabitable that is. When actually it's, you know, vegetation or not, it's, it's an absolute huge colony. Oh, it's a breeding it's ground where new life booms forth <laughs> annually. So the bird that we're going to meet today is called the common myrrh. How is it spelled? M-U-R-R-E. Oh, Nathan. Yes. It's an orc. Yes. That's very exciting. I like an orc. All kinds of orcs, frankly. But yes, as, as, as you have very um, accurately identified, David, they are a member of the orc family, along with other such birds like puffins, guillemots, orklets, and other birds of the like. Razorbills and the great orc, indeed. Would you like to describe a conmeur? Oh, they're a happy little chap. Yeah, they're kind of a, a black and white, little little penguin-esque, I suppose. They are a little penguin-esque. They're, they're like, they look like an orc, an A-U-K orc. A great orc, yes. Um, they do. They're, they've got the uprightness of a penguin, you know, how mm. they have their sort of necks and they're sort of bobbing about. They look like they'd bob about on land, waddle about very, very similarly. But they're like a... It's, it's like a, a black top half of the bird, including all of its head, and a white belly, all white all the way up to its shoulders, all the way down to its, its little feet. Uh, it's got a pointy black beak, uh, very dark brown eyes, or, or black eyes. And um, they're a cute little guy. They definitely look like they're built for ocean swimming. They look like they have waterproof feathers. Very much so, very much so. They are built for the sea. Uh, we don't actually get any members of the orc family in Australia. They're kind of, they're native to the... Um, North Pacific and Atlantic Oceans. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and uh, also frequents Middle Earth, uh, mainly the coastal regions of uh, Rohan. Well, and, <laughs> and underground, wherever the sun does not shine, <laughs> you will find orcs. Yes, just yeah, for listeners listening at home, it is spelt different. These orcs are A-U-K-S <laughs> as opposed to the O-R-C. <laughs> yes. Very, very, very differently different. spelt. Legally distinct Le- from... Yes, don't sue us, Tolkien. <laughs> if you're listening, J-A-R. Uh, don't sue us. <laughs> um, but uh, orcs are a really fascinating family of birds, and I will do um, a whole episode on their family at some point. But um, the thing I will say about the Murs is that they have they do have a similar lifestyle to penguins in the sense that they live most of their life on the open sea. They are... Uh, they're underwater pursuit hunters, so they, they dive from the sky and chase their prey under the water. And they have especially evolved like intermediary wings, so they've made a compromise between the type of aerodynamic wing that is useful for flying essentially under the water, whilst also still retaining the necessary features to fly in the air, which is very unusual in the bird world. Most birds either opt to have efficient wings for flying or like penguins they ditch flying and then evolve their wings to to be efficient underwater yeah so they're they're all rounders they've kind of they've they want their cake and they want to eat it too sort of thing and and it's not the best cake but you know it's a pretty good no no it's kind of made them so they're not they're not as so they're more agile underwater than most birds but they're not as good as penguins and whilst they can still fly they have to it requires a lot more energy for them to fly than most other birds they they have to they've got bad wing loading is i think the technical term where they have to actually flap quite usually their flight is described as looking frantic (laughs) 
right, because they really have to go at it to kind of stay in the air as opposed to like an albatross, say, that's going to just glide and looks quite lazy and graceful in the air. More elegant. So it's, it's not so much a, a supermarket cake <laughs> or like some sort of amazing bakery cake. It's like a, a packet mix cake <laughs> is what they're dealing with. Yes. Would we say? Yeah, like it's fine. <laughs> It's fine. It's, fine. Like, it's pretty good. And, and you enjoy it. You think, that's great. I'm going to have a bit more of it. But it's not going to blow anyone's socks off. <laughs> how big is a myrrh? Tell me how big is a common myrrh? Because I can't quite tell from the pictures what sort of scale we're talking about. It looks like 30 centimetres tall. Yeah, the common myrrh, David, again, you've got great estimations today. They're between 38 and 40 centimetres. 30, 30 to 40 centimetres. 30, say 35 to 45 centimetres. I could believe that. They're, they're not a small bird. No. I think if I saw one, I would be mildly intimidated. As <laughs> as per previous episodes, I think I'm quite easily intimidated by large birds and their huge beaks. Because they've got a pretty sharp-looking beak for fishing. I reckon they could do some damage. They do have that sort of albatrossy style. You know when you watch nature documentaries and they're at the, the nesting grounds for some sort of seabird and they're doing that clattering with their, mm. with their beaks to mm-hmm. get other other birds away looks like they would be quick to do that to me well <laughs> and quite rightly well, so as it turns out they're actually quite uh, meek and mild birds oh no they're so cute yeah. little go- oh well that's well, don't worry we'll get we'll, we'll get to that point in a minute <laughs> i hope that doesn't bode poorly for the oh it bodes very poorly david oh no <laughs> okay all right so the victim of the piece we've the met mer. the victim of the piece the poor little common bird so these birds, they so they live, as I said, live their life mainly out at sea, but they come to nest and they, they prefer rocky outcrops. Um, and an island like the Farallons is, is perfect for them because it's, it's a little island. There aren't any predators there. It's quite protected. Perfect place to kind of like smack an egg on the ground and not have to worry too much about any predators. Oh, just on the ground? Yeah. They, well, they, they lay them on, on, I guess, on the side, uh, kind of like on the cliff, cliff ledges is where they would tend to favour. That's relatively safe compared to some places. Yeah. That Look, I think if you up. looked at that foreboding island, you're like, you know, this seems pretty good. Yeah, you could build a, a lighthouse oh. or a folly on that and it'll be pretty safe yeah. from other people, but not from the waves. As it turned out, there aren't a lot of areas along the Californian coast that are have favourable conditions for myrrh nests. And so these islands drew in a lot of these birds. And during the time that we're talking about, you would get about something like 400,000 of them a year nesting on the island. Wow. I guess it's a bit of a, a bit of a haven then for them all around. So something like 400,000 birds would come to the island to nest every year and lay their eggs, and, and now would be a good time to pause and take a look at these eggs. They are beautiful eggs. They, are, they just have such a delightfully conical top. Mm. Very well, very well-produced common myrrh. And they're such a wonderful series of, of greenish shades. Mm. There's like a classic teal. Yep. There's some sort of slightly off-white, sort of greenish white. Mm-hmm. They're all speckled they with brown and other nice colours, some greens and blues mm. in there. Yeah, so the Mers would lay like really different looking eggs from one another. And this was part of how the, the parents identify their egg amongst a crowd, I suppose. Oh, they all produce a unique pattern and yeah color. so each female her eggs will be unique to that bird and that's um it kind of it fixates on the egg and imprints on it and then when it's kind of coming and going it, that's how it always yeah. finds the egg that belongs to it 
Are her eggs always the same over multiple um, nestings and, and laying seasons? I believe so. And I think because each year, I think the mergers lay, will lay, will raise a single chick. So I guess um, it's it's not nesting with a clutch of eggs, I suppose. Oh, so they're they're pretty they're pretty calm, pretty passive little birds, mm-hmm. pretty friendly. They look super cute. They live in a pretty cool place in LA. Um, sorry, San Fran, California, San Fran. Mm. Ooh, and the other thing we should say is those eggs are about twice the size of a normal chicken egg, so they're quite large as well. Oh my! Okay, they look like lovely eggs, they, and oh. I think common mers should be proud to make them. So the mer, it's living on its island, it's doing its thing, it's having a grand old time. Meanwhile, over in San Francisco, they've got a massive egg shortage. And then they notice that just out to sea, there are literally hundreds of thousands of eggs kind of just lying around. And, yeah, and, you know, admittedly, you know, it's going to be a bit of a hassle to get them. But at some point, the price of an egg got high enough to make it worth someone's while. And that someone was one Dr. David Robinson. And I should stress, no qualifications. You say no qualifications. Yes, Dr. David Robinson, no qualifications. Well, how is he a doctor? A doctor oh, we'll what? come to that. Oh, dear. It's, not of, <laughs> it's clearly not of, not of leaving eggs alone. Anyway, uh, so in 1849, Dr. inverted quotation marks Robinson... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a registered term. He's not allowed to use that. Oh, sorry, regulated term. So in 1849, Dr. Robinson decided that there might be some good business to be made in, in myrrh eggs... So, together with his brother-in-law, one Oren... <laughs> as Oren Esquire. He's, he's not a fake doctor. Not like Dr. David. Yes, um, Master, Master Oren Esquire. So <laughs> they sailed over to the island to take you know, all the eggs they could carry. And the story goes that the sea was so rough on the way back that they lost half of the eggs they had collected overboard. What? They, they fall out or they throw they them threw, off? Well, they, they, they fell off the boat because um, the sea was so rough. Wow, what, what a waste of those poor eggs. Yeah. I wonder if they would have floated and just made their way back. No, I, I don't know what would happen. Well, no, it would sink. They would sink. That's how you test for a rotten egg. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing any of the, any one of the ones that did float, they wouldn't pick them up. So super rough seeds, bunch of eggs go overboard. They go overboard. One of the advantages of mer eggs, though, is that their shells are much thicker than uh, a normal chicken egg. And so because they're being they're designed to be laid on bare rock and but that makes them quite robust and it means they do hold up quite well in a, a rocky boat rocky island rocky boat just as good mm. you know what mers they're doing great with their eggs great for laying great for stealing <laughs> well yeah this fake doctor comes along mm. his entirely unqualified brother-in-law <laughs> and they just swipe these excellent eggs yeah, that the mers have just really put a lot of effort into yeah. and only one or two each sure. Exactly, and and they lose half of them overboard to boot. But even so, with the eggs they did manage to salvage, they made three thousand dollars on this um one trip. Oh, wow. okay, and that's... that's in yeah no three thousand dollars in eighteen fifty, which would be like fifty times whatever that is today. Times it by about fifty. Oh, oh wow, actually, yeah, yeah, wow. they made a, a vast sum, a vast sum of money. It's almost enough to pay for uh, a proper. Education to get your qualification to be called a doctor. We will come to that. <laughs> I hope we do. As as a doctor, I'm sure you appreciate the travesty of someone masquerading <sighs> like that. Outrageous. Claiming to be an expert. As it turns out, they were. 
<laughs> well, if it was um, any indication as to how uh, treacherous the journey was, after this single trip, Robinson stated that it was so harrowing that he would never do it again. But instead, he used the money to open a pharmacy. And it was from this that he became known as Dr. Robinson. Again, no qualifications. <laughs> Oh, okay. Firstly, I thought you were going to say something about it was so treacherous. He sent Oren back himself to get it. <laughs> but so, so he he wasn't a, even a, called a doctor at the time. He was no, at the time he was post, not a doctor. This was post egg yes, heist. He became a pharmacist, pharmacist. unqualified. <laughs> <laughs> he mo- moved out of the egg games. Oh, into the drug game. Pretty rough. So um, I can only assume. Oren kept going with the eggs. No, 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 no. This, this, David and Oren's part in the story has, has, has come and gone. He wasn't a greedy man. He made his $3,000. He opened his unqualified pharmacy, and he was like, you know what? I'm good. No more eggs for me. <laughs> I've got my unqualified pharmacy selling absolute snake oil. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's my oh, lot. good. Um, but I suppose the thing that the good doctor did do was that he showed that there was a lot of money to be or the bad doctor yes he showed that there was a lot of money to be made in the mer egg racket and i suppose he opened the door to others he was a maverick of the industry of egg stealing yes so before we get really into the egg rush that happened there <laughs> the egg rush <laughs> the great egg rush do you, do you think david that mer eggs would make good eating surely not they've got a big old thick shell I imagine then, you know, for the weight, they're probably not as as uh, efficient as what we've bred chickens, chicken eggs to be. I don't know if they're good eaten. <laughs> what makes a, an egg good eaten? I guess eaten? it's the flavour, like, right? Would it be a bit fishy? Because I imagine they eat a lot of fish. Well, it's in, well. Let me let me give you some more descriptions here. So when you so when you crack open a mer egg, its yolk is a really it's a bright, fiery orange, almost almost red. Wow. Okay. So that's yep. maybe a little bit off pulling, putting to start off with, but it gets it gets better. So you know when you crack open an egg and the egg white is quite, it's like it's a clear, see through, gelatinousy kind of thing, right? Yeah, generally. Yeah, and then you cook it and it turns opaque and white. Yeah, it's that sort of like yellowish color to start with, and it goes white. Yeah. 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 Well, mer um, eggs don't do that when you cook them; they stay transparent. The the whites stay the whites transparent? stay transparent when you cook them. Like jelly, yeah, a little bit. You can, like you can. They, they, they go. They, they. I guess the consistency changes and they stiffen up, but they remain transparent. Yeah, Translu- yeah so translucent. Yeah, translucent. Got, got mm. this. So you've got this red egg yolk in aspic. <laughs> wow, yeah, it's actually a trait that they share with um penguin eggs. If you cook a penguin egg, the whites don't don't cook up, or don't change color. They stay white or stay translucent. Who's cooking penguin eggs? It's illegal. Um, don't do it, people. <laughs> Quite right. And leave the murs alone as well. So why, why do they stay translucent? What, what's Yeah, it's on? because there's a protein in these eggs. Well, I, I, you know what? I actually can't speak to the mer eggs. I can speak to the penguin eggs, and I assume it's for the same reason. So in penguin eggs, um, they have this, they've got this protein called, I'm going to try to say this, penalalbumin. It's spelt, <laughs> it's spelt P-E-N-A-L-A-L-B-U-N. M-I-N is how it's spelt, which under normal circumstances, um, it helps. It kind of acts like a little bit of an antifreeze. It's, it makes the eggs more robust in cold uh, temperatures, kind of stops them from freezing 
in cold conditions. And this protein does exist in all eggs, but say in a normal chicken egg, it's only makes up about 0.01% of the egg white, whereas in penguins, it's about 25% of the egg white. And for some reason, this protein just doesn't behave in the same way when it's exposed to heat. It stays, it keeps the egg white translucent. Hmm. Okay, so here's a a comment from me on, on having anything in food that stops it from freezing. Generally, my understanding, when that happens, it doesn't taste as good. Like if you have any sort of deep sea creature with something in it, that means it doesn't mm. freeze in the cold waters. It's usually something that's like, you know, it's like urea or something that makes it taste really bad. Well, it's interesting that you say that, David, because there's this, uh, the mer egg is quite unusual, I suppose, in the way that it tastes. If they're fresh, they supposedly taste very similar to a chicken egg, but when they're a little less fresh, oh boy. (laughs) So a stale myrrh egg is described as having a heavy fishy aftertaste. And one account of a person who ate one said that the flavor was something never to be forgot. And it took a full three months for the taste to leave the mouth. What? (laughs) Could be some exaggeration there. Is this before toothpaste? Is that... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Why? It's just like, well, that meal's going to be with me for a few months yet. Yeah, that was a mistake. Yeah, so uh, so the egg collectors, uh, or the eggers, as we will refer to them. <laughs> we got to call them the, the eggers. eggers. Not experts, the eggers. The eggers. Um, they, uh, when they yeah. started collecting these mer eggs, they did cotton on to the fact that if the eggs were stale, it wasn't great. So they did come up with a strategy to avoid collecting a stale egg. And what they would do is on the the first day of the egg collecting season, they would go out and they wouldn't collect any eggs. Instead, what they would do is they would smash every egg on the island that they could find. And so that guaranteed that when they came out on the second day, every egg they found had been freshly laid. What a bunch of dicks. (laughs) I reckon, eh? Oh, that's that's awful. What a mean, jerky thing to do. Those poor murders. So they obviously lay another one. Like Yes. So they're able to. Mm, yes. Yeah, so much. Yeah. Actually, a lot of birds do have this feature where if um, they, they'll, a, a bird will naturally lay up into the natural size of the clutch that they would have and then they'll stop. But if, the, if something happens and it's early enough in the season and they lose the eggs, they will lay again. We're just taking advantage of these wonderful common murs. They're not common. They're, they're just extraordinary i really i really i'm coming around on them as, not that i was ever against them, <laughs> but i'm i'm really in favor of them they've got great eggs they're really nice someone smashes their eggs they just they just lay another one they try to get on with it even though all that hard work was on they're just trying to make the best lot in a tough with a tough lot aren't they? the best out of a tough lot they really are so i can only assume that the um the eggers after the unqualified future pharmacist um, showed that that was a viable money-making scheme, that the eggers just you know did it once or twice and then left them alone. Oh, David, poor naive David. <laughs> Look, I was I was hoping for the best, <laughs> but obviously humans expect the worst. All right, how how much damage did they do? Um, well, look, we'll we'll save we'll save we'll save the total tally for the end, okay. but. Before we get too into the eggers, we should probably highlight that this this was probably the toughest gig to make money. Um, not only was the sea crossing was bad enough, and because they're not using motorized boats, they're literally rowing out essentially 50 kilometers there and back through a really rough sea. 
And then once they're on the island, they're on sheer cliff faces trying to collect these bird eggs. It was very treacherous work. A couple of them fell to their death doing this. Adding adding to this danger were the birds themselves. Um, as I said, the murs were quite um, demur and would... Um... <laughs> oh, God, now I'm, I'm just as bad as you. Uh... I'm, I'm egging you on. Ah, David. <laughs> they would tend to fly away when they were disturbed, but the gulls that would nest on the island they would attack the gulls were a bit more uh what do you think you're doing and they would they would like swoop and attack the people as they tried to collect the myrrh eggs oh they had like um other birds yes there were, yeah there, there were there were quite a lot of there were like um i think there were gulls there were cormorants uh there are um some petrels i think as well that nested on the island but for some reason it was just the myrrh eggs that really kind of caught their attention is it just because the the myrrhs were a bit less aggressive or do they taste different are there more of them than like seagulls I, I, are they not I, palatable I, no idea why they only went after the myrrh eggs unfortunately but myrrhs is what they were maybe maybe myrrhs nested in the greatest abundance on the island i really don't know actually you know what i don't want to speculate i don't know the answer to that question <laughs> fair enough i'll be <laughs> you honest. are presenting an almost professional podcast so what I've just sent you, David, is a picture of some egg collectors on the island, just to create an image of how treacherous or sheer the cliffs they were working on were. That's very sheer. That's like a like a forty five degree plus mm. cliff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very very rugged, very rocky sort of situation. Also note that the, most of the, both of them are wearing hats, first of all. But also, why is the guy further away from the, the viewer? He's, he's, got, he's raised something in the air and it's like he's whipping it down. That's his basket of eggs. Oh, he's just holding onto it? Yep. So they don't, they don't even bring weapons with them. They just sort of wander around and take them. Yeah, pretty much. They just, they would, so they would, they would climb over the cliffs. They'd just pick up the eggs off the side and pop them in their baskets. And I can also send you one second, a man wearing an egging vest. Here we are. <laughs> an egging vest. Only the finest. Specially designed for egging. You, I mean, you joke, but yeah. And so I've just sent you a, a gentleman decked out after a day of hard egging. Okay, so what it looks like is is almost exactly like what I'm sure a lot of people used to do when they were children. When you need to put like a large number of small objects, you need to carry them somewhere. You don't have any other way of carrying them. So you roll up the bottom of your T-shirt that you're wearing and you like sort of collect it in there and, and hold it up. And you've just got this like jumbling bag that you've created. I guess maybe they hadn't invented a backpack yet. Well, he's got a basket as well, brimming with eggs. He, I he does. I'm not sure. I would also note that this man, again, wearing a hat. <laughs> he is indeed hatted. Look, he doesn't look like he's thrilled to have done what he's done or to be where he is. No. So most of the people that did this work were down on their luck, shall we say. Mm, I'm not surprised. I guess it's that or gold. Well, indeed. Indeed. So, yeah, each year these guys would... Um, They'd head out to the islands and they'd collect as many eggs as they could. And during the height of the trade, they were gathering something like 600,000 eggs a year. Whoa, whoa. Hundreds of thousands. That's so many eggs. A lot of eggs, yes. How many people were going out for this? Like, this must have been a big old industry. Uh, We'll get to that. (laughs) Yeah, so as the egg collecting business is going on, more and more people are coming out to the island and... Uh, as people are wont to do, they start getting a bit protective of their turf. 
1856, there are a couple of people who think they can solve the problem of who, I guess, has rights over collecting the eggs in certain locations. And they decide that the best way to solve this problem is that they can claim ownership of the island. Who can? The eggers. <laughs> the birds? The, the eggers, group, a, collectively. A, a collective group of the eggers. So they... they the, a consortium. Yes. Well, indeed, they, they sailed out and they were like, you know what? These islands, they're ours. These birds, ours. Eggs, ours. And anyone else is trespassing. And to enforce their claim, they established a company called the Pacific Egg Company. Wow. So incredibly imaginative. <laughs> oh, it's not even true. It's like a pretty violent act. Anyway... So at this point, you kind of end up with two rival factions that are kind of on the island. You've got the, the, the company, that this incorporated company, and then you have a collection of, I guess they became organized in their own sense, but they were a collective of mostly Italian and Greek immigrants who were also collecting on the island at the same time, who I guess became a collective in response to the fact that these other people had formed a company to try to assert their ownership over the islands. Anyway, so the egg company's plan to just claim the islands didn't quite pan out the way they thought it would. Um, as it turned, as, as we mentioned before, the islands were, they were very dangerous. They were causing a lot of shipwrecks. And so to kind of try to stop this, the US government comes in in 1855 and they take possession of the island for the purpose of building a lighthouse. Oh, interesting. I, I guess shipwrecks beget shipwrecks, right? Hmm. So it makes sense to have something that's at least going to make yeah. it mildly less extremely dangerous people are going to go out there anyway yeah yeah so the so the u.s government kind of turns up and they they're, they're, they're a bit indifferent towards the egging that's kind of going on on the island but they're, they're setting up a lighthouse okay so they weren't doing it related to the egging they're just like lighthouse that's what we're here for we don't care about the eggs you guys collecting eggs yeah it's fine just keep out of our lighthouse's way keep out of our lighthouse's <laughs> way <laughs> Lighthouse coming through. Um, lighthouse just barges in. Apparently, there was some. Apparently, there was some issues with setting up the lighthouse. Uh, I've, I've I've heard tell that apparently they built the lighthouse and then the lens they had for the lighthouse didn't fit, so they had to knock it down and start again. Okay, surely that's not the resolution <laughs> to a lens not fitting. Is starting again. I don't know if they couldn't get it into the building or what the situation. This, this is. I'm not going to vouch for this fact, but this is what I've heard. Anyway, do you want me? I'll, I'll, try, I'll send you a little photo of the lighthouse, David. It is very little. It is. I mean, it's on a, a hilly it is, bit. and there's a, a, a donkey there for scale. Oh, a <laughs> donkey there for scale. I appreciate the standardized donkey scale. It's about, I'd say it's about six donkeys high. Yeah, it, it looks like a little guy, but looking at the um, the picture of the, the from the helicopter or, or drone shot, mm. Um, that we looked at earlier, the big, the big um, zoomed out one. I can see just on the the, the tallest looking peak. That yes, there's a tiny there little is. building there on top, is. and that must be the lighthouse. That is, and then yes, there are some little uh, buildings on the base there as well of that mountain. Yeah, I'd also point out that everyone in the lighthouse picture is also wearing a hat. Indeed, they are, David. <laughs> it's a running theme. You, you look, you weren't wrong. When you're right, you're right. <laughs> There's a lot of hats. A lot of hats in this story. A lot of hats. Anyway. A lot of hats, a lot of eggs. Anyway, now, eventually, though, the uh, the lighthouse keepers are going to become a third faction on the island. Oh, I love that there's multiple factions going on. I wish that the MERS and or support protection bodyguard birds were their own faction. Oh. But I suspect they're not quite as organised. No, they, the birds weren't particularly organised, unfortunately. But for the minute, for the minute, though, the, uh, the US government, they're... 
they're, they're not too fussed about the Eggers. They're allowing them to do their thing. The incorporated or unincorporated As it Eggers. may be. They just need a license to be on the island to egg. They need a license to egg. Double O. <laughs> <laughs> so for the minute, the lighthouse keepers aren't, aren't causing too much trouble. But meanwhile, the Eggers, the, the, we've got the Pacific Egg Company and we've got the, the immigrant Eggers. If, an, if anything, I would hope that the lighthouse keepers would be preventing trouble. That's what a lighthouse should oh, do. Oh, no, David. David, please, no. They're getting involved. They're they, they going to get involved in a big way. But, Great. But, but, but for now, they thought it was a bit outrageous that the Pacific Egg Company was laying claim to an island. So a whole bunch of them, they, they were ignoring the company's claim and they, they kept going out to the island. And so tensions began to rise between the rival collectors. And um, as is always the case, it started things started with mild threats, which then escalated to throwing rocks and shells at each other, and then it eventually escalated to stabbings and gunfight. Oh, I assumed it was going to escalate into a classic dance-off. No, this isn't West Side Story, it David. It is the West Side of America. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I see. So they, they, had, they had hats, they had guns. Mm-hmm. They had hats, they had guns, they had and, knives. Uh, the stage was set. Yes, and so um, the, you know, the rival gangs, they would fall into fighting each other, and during these scuffles... Fracas. This fracas that was happening is that uh, San Francisco would suffer an egg shortage because they weren't bringing <laughs> the eggs to shore. <laughs> they were too busy fighting oh. each other on the island. And so sometimes the local yeah. police would yeah. have to get involved to come out and kind of like be like, guys. The police are another we've faction, got a fourth faction Everyone's on the island. The poor Merce. Like, what are all these people that are stabbing and shooting each other? They're stealing our eggs. They smash them every season, even though I just laid it yesterday. Oh, and there's a fifth faction as well. What's the fifth faction? Well, cause the, so some other people realised that there was profit to be had, but they didn't want to go through the fuss of going onto the island and collecting them. So they start. So egg pirates started popping up. That would <laughs> rob the boats as they were going back to shore. <laughs> oh man, a noble profession. <laughs> egg piracy. They prefer egg privateer. Because. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, oh, amazing. So, a fine bounty today. A dozen eggs and nary a death amongst the crew. I mean, look, that is... It is patently ridiculous, obviously, in so many ways. Not least because it is not a vast amount of ocean between the islands and the shore that you could full-on operate the piracy racket, and that's, that's working. I don't know how successful the pirates were, but they, they, they were out there trying to nab some eggs as they were being ferried back to shore, yes. I mean, frankly, fair enough. Maybe they were sponsored by the Murs. Maybe they were Murs. <laughs> Three Murs in a trench coat. <laughs> the captain of the boat, this noble-looking seagull with an eye patch and a tricorn. <laughs> Just wing outstretched. So there's a lot of shenanigans going on, as you can no doubt tell. So many shenanigans. This is real nonsense. You promised nonsense. I've delivered nonsense. And I know that you're legally minded, David, so it may not surprise you that... (laughs) I'm not illegally minded. No, no, legally minded. You're a man of the law. And so you wouldn't be surprised to learn that the (laughs) Californian court system began clogging up with... A sixth faction. No, no. The the judges are The judiciary, yes. The judiciary are getting their own eggs. Well, no, no. I mean, it's in that all these, um, all the crimes that were being committed over eggs started landing these people in the courts. I should think so. I wonder if we can read some of those ridiculous judgments. Oh, it would be good to get your hands on that. But apparently some of the things that they were coming up for were larceny, trespassing, property damage and manslaughter. Oh, just 
bit of light manslaughter to do with eggs. And so this is this is also going on for years as well. And it's kind of like it's at a, this constant low-level simmer, I suppose. Because it's at this point that the lighthouse keepers start getting getting involved. Well, yeah, there's manslaughter happening right next to them. <laughs> the donkey, it's seen some things. And all the hats. So, uh, so I think the chief lighthouse keeper changes at this point, And he, this man, Amos Clift. Oh, great name. Especially for a lighthouse yeah, on a cliff. Clift? Yeah. Serious? Perfect. So he kind of sees that they weren't particularly well paid at the time and he saw the egging business as a way to garnish his salary. Oh, he thought that might be a a tasty little nest egg. Indeed. (laughs) Let let me give you um, Amos's reasoning for why he thought he was justified in doing so. And again, David, relying relying on your legal background here, you can let me know how sound his reasoning is. Absolutely prefaced with the fact that this is not legal advice (laughs) for Amos or anyone else. Samus figured that because the islands technically belonged to the US government and he was an employee of the US government, it gave him a better right to the eggs than the Pacific Egg Company. <laughs> That's not a great argument, Amos. <laughs> Would you think they would hold up I, in a court of law? Unless it's expressly part of his duties. If anything, he has less right to the eggs because it's during his work hours that he would be acquiring them. But anyway... You wouldn't represent him I on that know. argument? So Amos thinks, I could owned these eggs that's that's appropriate <laughs> and <laughs> correct and he had a, a very warped view i assume he didn't consult no his employer no, he did not consult his employer position. oh they might have said no oh indeed you know it's always better to beg forgiveness than ask permission even better just not to tell them that you have a bunch of eggs and sell them apparently that's what a- they a- well his plan wasn't very successful and in part this was because he was one dude with two buddies <laughs> and they're up against an entire <laughs> egg company and a rival gang who were armed to the teeth <laughs> <laughs> what was his plan and what did he bring to the, uh, the I think, and He wanted to just force the egg guys off the island and claim the eggs for himself But this just did not pan out So what happened is that he, he got all up in the egg's grill And because they were better armed than him, they ended up kicking him off the island Yeah, I would think so What are you doing, Amos? It wasn't, he wasn't, look, he wasn't a smart man, I don't think. He was eventually, the US government eventually, or his employers um, eventually relieved him of his... Uh, post on the island for trying to monopolize the egg business i mean that's i was hoping you were going to say that he he and his his two buddies um pulled off some sort of scooby-doo style no, um, ruse no. and they dressed as a ghost on the island and ran he, around he had an ill-conceived plan to try to force the eggers off the island and got his ass handed to him by the eggers um and was kicked off the island himself yeah. amos there's manslaughter going on look after your dog <laughs> So anyway, that takes care of Amos. He was he was quickly dispatched. <laughs> that takes that faction out of the picture. But uh, the two rival gangs were still uh, basically going at it. Had the unincorporated gang incorporated? By no, this I point? think they were just a, a supportive collective. And there's a lot of violence going on. There's an egg shortage in the city, and so it's at this point that the law starts to get more involved in about 1860 to try to settle things down. And so one day the authorities turn up on the island with an arrest warrant. Um, They were trying to get the ringleaders of the immigrant group because they were there without a license, causing a ruckus and getting in the egg company's way. And they were there to arrest the leader, another David, David Batchelder. No relation. 
And so when the police arrived, they they found that the two gangs were in mid-standoff with each other. They had each carved out a small territory of the island that they were guarding from each other, and some declaring that they would rather be shot down by the police than submit to the warrant. Yeah, that works well. So how many people were shot down by the police? No one was shot down by the police at this stage, but the, the... So at this point, only two officers went out to the island, and they quickly worked out that they were a little overwhelmed by the resistance. <laughs> this is uh, some serious business, apparently. <laughs> They're like, this is far more serious than we thought it was. And, you know, to their credit, they did manage to arrest three people and they were charged for essentially collecting eggs without a permit. Did, um, did what was it, Pacific Eggs Incorporated, were they held to account at any point or were they seen, seen as more legitimate? They were, the because they had a license to be there. So I suppose they were seen as legitimately being there by the, the the law, I assume, whereas the immigrants who did not were probably seen as being not so. But I suppose it's one of the cases where the law is set up to <sighs> favour those that are well-off. Legitimise the social yes. inequality yes, happening. Very much yes. so. As soon as you said that they uh, they arrested or they, they were targeting, arresting of the leader the of the... Action. Mm. Uh, yes, I thought, mm, okay, that sounds... That sounds like that might mm. be a horrific factor mm. of what's mm. going mm. on here mm. as well. Yeah, so very much so. So the laws were, yeah, they favoured, yes, as you said, the established status quo of the social order. And, you know, you've got these immigrants that were dangling at the bottom of the food chain just trying to improve their lot in life and being pushed around by established higher powers that be. And, as, and all the people that were making the money out of the egg company were not the people that were egging either. They were just... Oh, surely yeah, not. Yeah, of course not. Yeah. No, they had their employees that they sent out to do it. So the police arrested a couple of them. They went back to shore and they were like, we do, we, the situation on the island has gotten well out of hand and we need to get more serious about trying to stop all this violence that's going on out there. And so... Yes, also the birds. No, that wasn't the issue, David. The poor that birds. wasn't the issue. They needed... There was an egg shortage in San Fran. <laughs> there was an egg shortage. <laughs> they should be taking the gulls' eggs as well. So they, yeah, so they go back to the police chief and they're like, there is a full-on war going on out there. <laughs> And so the next day they turn up with a larger force of police. Oh, yeah, because you have to spend at least a few hours trying to convince the police chief that this is legitimately a problem and that you're not just joking. (laughs) No, and so, and on this occasion, it does get resolved without violence. They go there, they round up 11 or so Italian and Greek immigrants who are still there on the island without further resistance. They bring them back and that that kind of fixes things in 1860. But then in the next season, it just starts happening again, essentially. So it's it just kind of went from one year to the next. Yeah, and so the next time it kind of really boils up again is in 1863. How, how long, could I ask, has, has it been going at this point? Uh, so it started in about 1850. So 13 years. Okay, so over, over wow, 13, 13 years. years worth of... it's, so it was going on for a long, long time. Yeah, so we've gotten to 1863 now when things step up again. And this time the Italian, the immigrant faction, they decided that they were going to get really organised. They got armed, they bought themselves a boat, they bought some of themselves a cannon to put on the boat. And then they sailed out to, so wow. they sailed out to the island under the cover of night to mount a blockade of the island. Wow. And so yep. the men uh, from the Pacific Egg Company, they were already on the island. And then they have this standoff during the evening where they're, you have the Egg Company men on the island, you've got the immigrants on the boat... Everyone is drinking, and they start shouting at each other. One of the people on the uh, the island, they, they declare that, you know, you'll land on this island at your own peril, and the people on the boat, they're like, I'll go through hell to land. Um, wow. Is this, has this been dramatised at any point? Tempers are getting it's, heated. <laughs> it's very dramatic. 
And so they, they, this kind of goes on through the night. And then in the morning, the Italians decide, all right, they get in their boat and they row to shore. And then they start firing at each other. They start their, their this is including the cannon, they're firing the cannon at the island. Yep. And so a couple, I think at least one of the egg company men gets shot in the stomach and dies on the scene. Another one of the Italians was shot in the throat and he died several days later. And at least five other people were wounded in one way or another throughout this battle that went on. What a bloody affair. Yes, so apparently the fighting went on for about 20 minutes before the Italians retreated back to their boat. And then the next day, arrest warrants were put out for murder. For all of them equally or just for the... um... Well, ultimately, everyone ended up getting off on a technicality. I'm not sure what the technicality was. I can only assume it was a mistrial of one sort or another. (laughs) What kind of technicality do you get off that? Well, technically, this is ridiculous. So, Uh, Yeah, I'm I'm not 100% sure what it was, but a bunch of people were arrested. No one ended up being, no charge stuck. It was finally at this point, after literal years of violence, of shootings and stabbings and piracy and theft, that the US government is like, okay, we're, ta- we're, we're daddies here. Um, daddy wants the eggs. Daddy, daddy wants the eggs now. Oh, God. They decide, okay, there's actually a problem that we need to sort out here. Yeah, too right, there's a problem. They, well, the US government, you know, being America... They don't want to actually stop the industry because, you know, it's it's good for business. Businesses... You could profit exactly, from there's it. there's a profit to be had, David, and we're rugged individualists out there just on the frontier making a, making a go at things and being enterprising and whatnot. And so they come up with a solution to continue to have egging on the island, and they... So the, uh, the US government basically goes, right, we own the island... And we are going to grant exclusive rights to whoever the highest bidder is, and then we will enforce their rights. And basically what happened. And so, as you can probably guess, the egg company won exclusive rights because they could make a higher bid. In a shocking twist of... <laughs> shocking twist. <laughs> the egg company ended uh... up getting their way. They made a higher bid, and then the US government enforced their right to be the sole eggers on the island. So that's, so that's how that panned out. But then the egging on the island went on for years and years and years after that. And in a shock twist, the, the mer population took a bit of a hit. Yeah, I was going to say, so this entire time that, you know, this, this more than a decade of absolute just trying to maximise profits and number of oh. eggs being taken. And how, are the, how have the common mers been? Has their population been dwindling? Mm. Has it been stable only until a decade later? So, well... By this late stage in the game, I think the population had was down by some ninety percent. So y- their yearly, as you as we mentioned before, they were taking about six hundred thousand eggs a year to start off with. By this stage, mm-hmm. they're only getting about sixty thousand. So, um, which is still a lot of eggs, but it's it's a fraction of what they were getting before. What I, what I'd like you to do now, David, is to put your your mind your mind or your your feet in the shoes of the egg company. And you realise that, you know, your, your product, it's a depleting resource. And so like, what would you do, David, to keep your company alive? <laughs> what responsible action would you take? Am I allowed to say protect the population of, of MERS and uh, move on to other, other areas for profit? Or um, at, at the very least, you know, you would think about sustaining the population to make it so it's actually going to be a long-term viable mm. 
option, maybe breeding the murs elsewhere, like trying to have even more of them, moving them into captivity, trying to do a, a chicken approach. Literally anything that would involve not killing more murs and their eggs. But I can only assume that's not the way that they went. It's not quite the way that they went. Uh, the answer I was looking for there, David, was vertical integration. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. I was going to say synergy, but... um. What were they vertically integrating? Well, there was well, there Chickens? was a seal population on the island, and they thought that they should start hunting seal and rendering their blubber into oil. Oh, and then, and then they used the oil to what, power something to get I, the eggs. Well, not to get the eggs, but you know, just to sell, I suppose, just seal oil. Oh, they're diversifying. They're diversifying, David, into Let's another see. depletable resource on the island. Exactly. Okay. So, who else is there to exploit? <laughs> Sorry, what else is there to explain? <laughs> well, they continued collecting eggs, obviously, but they added seal. Oh, sorry, of course. They didn't stop egging, David. They added they rare added seals seal as well. to, the, to their list of things. But in, a, in an ironic twist, it was they. this was their undoing. This is what undid them. Because in the process of rendering seal fat into oil, it caused a lot of smoke, which was obstructing the lighthouse, as I said, don't... Oh, it's our lighthouse. Keep out of our way of the lighthouse. It's our lighthouse. And that's what Amos warned them about all those years those earlier. Fools. And so this is what actually caused the government to shut the industry down on the island. They were... The smoke was blocking the light. The sm- <laughs> So, sorry, they, they... But they only shut down the, the seal. Uh, no, they, they evicted... They evicted them, the, the company from the island. Oh, the last In straw. In 1881. Can't trust your company. 1881. Wow. Uh, so, what was that? 31 years. <laughs> Those poor, poor seals, and and obviously boats would have crashed as well. But poor common mers. So, mers. how are they doing in 1881? Well, yes. Yeah, so the the company gets evicted, and then there is still some. Even after people would like sneak onto the island to do some shady um, egging thereafter. But by about this stage, there's only about 4,000 mers left on the island. Down from, I think we said 600,000 at the start. But it took a hit. Uh, the thing that actually ended up at undoing the egg collection in the end was getting chickens established in California. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so great. once the chickens, yep. they could actually get chickens in the, in the country, the price of myrrh eggs fell from about a dollar egg to five cents, and it just wasn't worth the effort anymore. And by about 1890, in 1890, they put a total ban on um, egging of any sort, and that's how it... That's how it all came came to an end. And since then, the population has recovered quite a bit, but it is still below what it originally was in 1850. And so uh, that's the story of the egg war, David. I'm just surprised that they put a ban on egging at all. Like, clearly it wasn't a particular priority to them, but I guess then it was no longer profitable, so why not make an environmental stand? <laughs> why not? At the last... At the last moment, we're like, you know what, guys, let's protect these birds. You know what? It's just a, a series of of awful humans doing either exploiting others or being exploited. Or exploiting nature. And just generally, or exploiting nature and just generally being just a bunch of bad eggs. <sighs> you couldn't help yourself, could you, David? <laughs> couldn't help myself. Just like Dr. David, nonsense, unqualified future pharmacist. No Starting it all. <sighs> He's the bad egg that started it all from the beginning. He's the bad egg that started Yeah, rotten That's to the, the core. <laughs> I wonder what he thought about all this. Maybe he came in and an environmental activist. I don't think so. I think he just enjoyed running his unlicensed pharmacy. 
<laughs> it was the Wild West. I, I guess it really highlights why things like alcohol and tobacco are controlled by the government, because when it's left people just to stake a claim on a resource, you know, the only way to protect it if the government isn't backing you up is with violence. It's like might is right sort of thing. Yeah. You have to regulate it, or as you say, it's the Wild West, or very, very far west. Mm. And so, and that's and that's kind of what stopped the violence in the end. The government regulated it to a certain extent. Poor Mers. I hope they haven't forgiven us. I don't think we haven't done enough to earn the, the Mers forgiveness. I don't think. <laughs> I shouldn't. Th- well, they they seem like such happy little things. Do you know if the islands are like? Are you allowed to visit them now? Obviously, it looks incredibly difficult to, and the, but there's structures there, so I assume. So President Theodore Roosevelt signed an executive order in 1909 creating a, the Farallon Reservation to protect to protect the islands. So it's uh, Teddy Roosevelt, as he did with so many things in America, made them a, a protected reserve. That's great. I'm glad that the Murs have a, have a respite from everyone stealing, sorry, smashing, <laughs> then stealing. In that order. Their yes. eggs. I can, I can only hope that the common Mur is named such because they had populations elsewhere and have been able to, to keep on. Yes, so the common myrrh, uh, as far as I know, is, is not a threatened species today. And is, yes, I think they have quite, because they have quite a wide distribution, basically from Japan across into Alaska, down the west coast of America, and then over on the other side, on the east coast of Canada, Greenland, Iceland, and then into Great Britain and Scandinavia. So they've got quite a wide range, kind of circumpolar, I suppose, is what you'd describe it, almost circumpolar. Uh, so yeah, they're doing they're doing okay. <laughs> Sands the devastation that took place on the Farallon Islands. <laughs> yeah, now that the warring eggers have left, yes. they've um, they've at least got this island here to. They do, and they they continue to. to to nest there to this to this day in peace. Anyway, we should let's we can wrap this up. Thank you for joining me on the podcast today, David. Thank you for having me and and <laughs> letting me hear about this nonsense of a situation. <laughs> That the poor common mers, who are lovely birds, have lovely eggs, were just um, accosted at all sides for decades. They really were. I'm glad they're still around. Uh, a happy ending to a ridiculous story. <laughs> <laughs> An acceptable result that doesn't result in extinction. Yes. That's that's success as far as some of these ridiculous um, human experiences with birds tend to go. So that was the story of the egg war, a ridiculous tale of human folly. Thank you once again to David for joining me for these odd stories from history. Hopefully I can coax him into joining us again. Now next time we're going to be doing something a little different as we visit three birds with ridiculous names and we'll have a little bit of fun with that. But now, if you want some more bird action, I've got some good news. If you were listening to this story and thought, where does that word mer come from? Well, I've got the thing for you. Our bonus podcast called What's Up With That Bird's Name has just come out, and this week it is all about the common myr. Where does that word come from? Well, for the low, low price of just $2 a month, you can find out all about it. Just swing on over to Patreon forward slash Bird of the Week or one word link in the description to find out more. And if you're feeling especially generous and would like to make a bigger contribution, then you too can get a special thank you from me in the show. Just like my good friends Jewel Chalker, Jody Little, Debbie Hode, and Richard Clark, the Minty Fresh. And if you'd like to receive a bird in your inbox for free each week, simply drop me a line at weekly.bird at outlook.com and I will add you to the Bird of the Week mailing list where you will receive a new bird lovingly delivered to you for free 
each and every week. I mean, hey, who doesn't want more birds in their inbox? At any rate, thank you for listening, and I hope you will tune in again soon. Until then, this has been Bird of the Week. It's not really relevant to the story, but the, the, um, just off the coast of the islands was also used as a nuclear waste dump. But we don't need to get into that. Jesus. Nathan, I do have to point out, yes. though, we've just found out that that ChatGPT mm. loves context oh. and loves puns. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm an AI. David. All this time, I'm not a real guest. I'm ChatGPT. You've been using the entire time these last episodes. Ha <laughs> ha. Everyone being fooled into thinking that I am a person. No one would ever believe that you're a person, David. Could you could you pass the Turing test? I don't know. As an anxious person, <laughs> I am certain I could overthink the Turing test.